that you would see yourself with God's eyes, that you would know and hear that he has a role specifically designed for you to play in his magnificent symphony of life, that you will see and believe that you matter, that God, the author of your life, knows when to call you in, and he knows how that's going to be played out. And because of his great love for you, beloved, he notices you. He notices you. So let's come again once more and bow our hearts in prayer for a moment. Lord, we come with open hearts this morning to seek and to see an enlarged perception of you and to broaden our understanding of who you created us to be. Enlarge our faith to believe not only that your word is true, but the truth that you say about us, Lord, and the role that you created us to fill, perhaps in dimensions we have never known before. May we leave this morning more like you, Jesus, than when we walked in the door. Amen. And so we begin our message on eradicating unbelief. I love that word. It means... Take it to dust. <laughs> in the world we live in today, to be fully equipped to respond to God's call on our life, we need to be standing firm in truth, never doubting or giving place to unbelief. Society's truth changes every 15 minutes. Yes. We've just been talking about that. We all know things that were accepted now that some years ago would have been thought, no way. Science is always changing. From the time I was a little girl, Pluto was a planet. I was so sad when I found out it wasn't, but I think it got upgraded now. I think it's, I think it's back to a dwarf planet. Medicine is always changing. You can take something for years, and one day you find out, whoa, that'll kill you. But it's not always bad either, though. Research and development in medicine improves the quality of our lifestyle. And it is, that insight is a gift from the Lord. So I'm not making a value judgment if these changes are good or bad. I'm making an observation yes. that life changes around us. Yeah. But for us who believe in Jesus Christ, where am I pointing at? Am I supposed to point it somewhere? There it is. <laughs> but for us who believe as followers of Christ, we stand firm on the one who said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He is our rock. He does not change. He is our firm foundation in the midst of a shaking, sifting world. And in him, there is no shadow of turning. But unbelief will incessantly crowd in. Well, I don't know anybody that knows the perfect timeline of the redemptive workings of the Lord. This I do know. When God said, for instance, I am the Lord who heals thee, which encompasses physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, freedom from pain, freedom from bondage. The almighty God is revealing himself. Maybe. 
add this. There you go. Okay. He is revealing himself as eternal, always present, always available, the unchanging Lord. He says, I am the Lord. Never, I will be, I was, always I am. Always I am. It is the Lord who created us to fulfill his intention and purpose in our lives. He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus before time began. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His intention has not changed. We're called to believe and to engage his calling for our lives with our whole hearts. But once again, unbelief can keep us from that. Keep in mind the author to the Hebrews warned us that the, God's people did not enter the promised land not merely because of their disobedience or even their idol worship of the golden calf. <coughs> Scripture affirms that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He had given them sign after sign after sign, and yet they still questioned, yet they doubted. Even Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, and God spoke to him and told him why. Because you have not believed in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Let's look at a familiar story in scripture and see how the heart of God responds to unbelief. It's the story of Lazarus, as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Mary and Martha and those that were with them came to Jesus weeping. They had lost their brother. And what was Jesus' reaction to them? The word tells us, oh, there it is, that he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled, and he wept. His heart was filled with pain at the thought that they had believed that he had failed them. They sent word to him that Lazarus was sick, but yet he waited. He didn't go, and they didn't understand. I've heard it said that Jesus wept for the loss of his beloved friend. There's probably an element of, it, of that there. He did love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But I believe, too, that scripture informs us that Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew he actually was not losing his friend. And so I've often wondered, was it really their unbelief in his character, their unbelief in his nature, in his word that broke his heart? For we see earlier in the passage, and we hear Jesus say to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified. And then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now they were understandably worried about his safety. 
The last time he had been there, it didn't really end well. So, but Jesus went on to patiently explain to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Still they argued, Lord, if he's just asleep, he's going to be okay. That's my interpretation. <laughs> the Hebrew is the disciples were clueless here. <laughs> and so Jesus made it clear to them, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that what? So that you may believe. And in that same way, for us not to believe that he is faithful, it's like we say to him, you're not who you said you were. Beloved, he is not merely faithful to us. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to himself. It's overflow blessing that he can't be anything but faithful to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we see from this scripture that we trouble the heart of God when we don't trust in him and believe in him. And he weeps. God's ways are not our ways. He created time and he lives out of time. And if we allow ourselves to be filled with unbelief, like Mary and Martha, when we haven't perhaps seen God respond in the way we think he should, or the way we want him to, or in the time frame that we set up for him, we give ourselves an open door to unbelief. And it compels us to ask ourselves the question, are we serving God for his glory or for our convenience? Do we serve for his glory or for our comfort? His word is true, beloved. And again, there are times that we don't understand his timing, but he is never late. So back to Mary and Martha. Interestingly, when Jesus came to the tomb, he asked them to roll the stone away. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Jerusalem or seen these gravestones. They're big, (laughs) and they are heavy. And he asked Mary and Martha to participate in this event, too. Could he not have done it? He created the stone. He could have glanced at it and brought it to dust. But he said, roll the stone away. I believe that most likely that stone represented the stone of unbelief in their hearts. And they needed to be the ones to do it. They needed to expend the effort to roll it away. For that stone of unbelief blocks the power of God in our lives. And he wants us to roll that boulder away. And then Jesus went on to say, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We are called to believe and become partakers of our heavenly calling. Again, we are warned by the author to the Hebrews, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. What does falling away from the living God look like in our life? 
it's not believing in him. And he wants, it's not believing in what he wants to do in and through us. The late theologian, Dr. Dallas Willard, asserted our ultimate freedom that we have as individuals is the power to select what we allow or require our minds to dwell upon or to think about. My friends, the focus of your thoughts significantly affect everything that happens in your life. You frame your world and they motivate your actions. Ultimately, what you believe will rule you. If you believe your life purpose is simply to fill a limited role, you'll do that and nothing more. You'll never look for more. You may never know so much more was available to you. But Jesus asks us to fearlessly believe for more, more of him, believing that nothing is impossible for him. The Lord spoke to me once about this verse when our daughter was very, very ill. We thought for a time that we might even lose her. They had just been married. Life was good for them, and out of nowhere, she was sick. And I always thought this meant there isn't anything Jesus can't do. There's nothing impossible for him, and it does mean that. But he spoke to me one night as I was praying for Lori, and he said, I want you to think about this. What's impossible for me is to be doing nothing. Nothing is impossible. That's what's impossible. I thought, whoa, that changes everything. He said, I've got this, Mom. I love your girl more than you do. My timing is not yours. She was sick for nearly two years. Would I have liked her to be instantly healed? Boy, you bet. But that changed them. That changed that new bride and groom. Our son-in-law is an emergency room physician. It changed how he practiced medicine. Yes. What, they didn't know what was wrong with Lori. It was horrible. But he said what he learned from that is medicine has facts, and they were true. It was what it was, even though they didn't know the source. But God has truth. Amen. And God's truth overcame those medical facts. And she was healed. They told her they would never have children. All the steroids toasted her reproductive system. We have the cutest grandkids you have ever seen in your whole life. <laughs> Hallelujah. After service, I'm happy to show pictures. <laughs> I have a few in my phone, like 1,500 or something. <laughs> So we believe in him, even when we don't see him working in our time frame. Jesus asks us to fearlessly believe. I'd like you also to consider the words of Elizabeth to, to Mary when she realized that Mary was carrying her Lord. She said, you are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. Mary entered into the promise of the living God and gave birth to our Lord and Savior because of her unqualified belief in him. Oh my goodness, aren't we thankful? Aren't we thankful for that young woman? When we read the scripture that humankind is the glory of God, 
It's telling us that God is to be recognized in humans. Why? So we could represent him. Think about that word for a moment. Represent. Our responsibility is to be representing God in the circumstances we live in every day. Every day. And then when you really get a hold of that, then you have to be on guard for pride. We always want to be alert for that. Pride will look for an open door. If we don't understand the glory that we bear is reflected glory. We are called to look directly in the face of our precious Savior. He is beckoning us to the most absolutely certain understanding that the glory we bear is reflected and that we live in dependence on him. We are called to be his reflection. He's calling us to stand so close that we reflect him to all the people that we meet, to all those we will lovingly serve, to everyone you encounter. It might be a checker at a grocery store. We are called to reflect Jesus. And if we think for a moment that we are the source of that power, we are sadly mistaken. It is the Holy Spirit in him alone who comes in power to fulfill the word of the living God. And we need an intimate relationship with the fullness of the Godhead. For without it, we are absolutely bankrupt. We are impoverished. In the words of Pastor Jack Hayford, ours is the privilege, his is the power. Hallelujah. Concerning the glory of God in us, my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, said you might as well be prideful about the color of your eyes. Hallelujah. If we truly understood the glory that the Father God has deposited in us, if we fully believed our effectiveness in miraculous kingdom life would be absolutely astonishing. Something similar happens toward the end of the film entitled The Matrix. It's a modern-day parable, a metaphor. It's a rather dark story. It's certainly not in the category of a chick flick. (laughs) It's far closer, though, I think, to the reality that we navigate than perhaps we might have believed. There's a question in the movie posed to the main character, Neo, and it's the same question that Scripture poses to us. Do you want to see? Like Neo, the choice is ours. Do we want to see and know beyond salvation? Do we want to learn to grow, to understand and mature? Do we honestly want to be God's instruments of wholeness in a desperately needy world? Do we want, as a congregation, to go deeper into greater interaction with the things that God is doing to truly be a Joshua generation. Neo, back to the movie, is awakened from the death sleep of the matrix to discover the time is not 1999, it's 2199. And the world that he thought was real was a massive deception 
engaged by the bad guys to keep the good guys prisoner. And hasn't the scripture been trying to wake us up from our own death sleep of complacency? Wake up, O sleeper, and be very careful how you live because the days are evil. That's Ephesians chapter 5. My friends, we are born into a world at war, and we must prepare spiritually, trusting God, believing in our glory, believing in our purpose, believing that we have a crucial role to play in the magnificent symphony of the orchestra of God, and he is the one who raises the baton, not us. This is intentionally a blank slide. <laughs> Returning to the analogy of the matrix, for most of his life, Neo thought of himself as Thomas Anderson. He was a computer programmer, worked for a big software company. As the drama begins to heat up and the enemy begins to hunt him down, he's saying to himself over and over, this is insane. Why is this happening to me? What did I do? I am a nobody. I've never done anything. Later, when he comes to realize, and not a moment too soon, is that actually he is the one. He has been chosen and equipped and empowered by something greater than himself to break the power of the matrix. So Neo decides to join the forces to set the world free. He's left behind now his identity as Thomas Anderson, computer guy, nobody really special. But the real moment that changes everything is when he really begins to believe. And he turns to face the enemy. Up to this point, everybody had been running from the agents. Those are the bad guys. They are symbols of the enemy. No one has challenged them. No one has taken them on. So as Neo turns to confront evil incarnate, his friends are watching and they're afraid for him. So we're going to join Neo here. We're going to see a little clip of this movie. I want to warn you, there is one word of profanity. One of the characters says, what the hell just happened or something like that. I would suggest to you, it, he's really just not casually swearing. He's making an observation because what he just saw was hell being manifest. So let's join Neo. Click the button to. It's going to work. <laughs> Neo, I want to tell you something. But I'm afraid of what it could mean if I do. And they're just chatting a little bit. Everything the Oracle told me has come true. About what's going on and what they're going to do about it. Everything but this. 
an agent. You have to send me back. I can't. Mr. Anderson. See how that turns out. You gotta rent the movie. <laughs> so, what was Neo beginning to believe? Who he really was, what his purpose was, and that he was being empowered by something greater than himself. Unquestionably, if we allow ourselves to give place to unbelief, we will never courageously or victoriously engage the life that Jesus intends for us to live. We must be unwavering in our understanding and our belief of who we are in Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit of the living God empowering us to do everything and that he attends our belief in him with great blessing, anointing, empowerment, and victorious living. It doesn't mean we'll never have hardships or trouble. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have trial and tribulation. Have you ever seen that on anybody's refrigerator magnet? You know, it's not our favorite verse. Nobody makes needlepoint pillows of that verse. But Jesus went on to say, but don't be afraid, I've overcome. But there's a war and we have to fight. Beloved, when Israel went through the parted sea, they came into the promised land. Guess what? There were giants there. It didn't mean that God hadn't promised it to them or that it wouldn't be theirs. It meant they had to engage and they had to fight for it. And they had to believe and never give up hope in that belief. So you may be asking, why does this really matter? Why are we talking about this today? Because, beloved, God doesn't save us and set us free for freedom's sake. Just so we could have a nice, comfortable life. He calls us. He longs to trust us, to engage others and share his life, his love, his freedom with them. Remember the lesson you learned from Rahab's life. Who can you love today? Who can you help today? Inquire of the Lord, and when he answers you, trust, believe, and respond like the orchestra does to God's every move. Beloved, God wants to set you free, each of you, not just pastors Courtney and Hazel, but each of you to fulfill the mission statements of Praise Christian Fellowship to be the people who love and accept one another and welcome people in, to be the people, to be God's instruments, to mend and recover one another, to be filled with his word so that you will be the ones to train and disciple one another 
and to be sent and released in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It begins on the inside of us. Listen to Jesus' own words. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. So that when people come to you with little faith, you lend them their, yours. When they come with no confidence in God or his word, you give them that assurance. When they have no trust, you let them experience yours. Amen. When they come with unbelief, you share with them the security of your unwavering belief in who God is and all that he does. Hallelujah. God's purposes are not merely for our own personal development. His purpose is to make us exactly like him, a reflection of his glory, his life within us. And if we believe who God, who Jesus in God created us to be, our lives will not merely be about our own gain. They will be about what he pours through us to those that he lovingly entrusts to us. I'd like to tell you a brief story about my own journey through belief and unbelief. It's a story I shared in part at the women's meeting that we had, so if you know the answer, don't tell the guys. <laughs> and we're coming to the end here, so stay with me. Um, when I was a little girl, my brother taught me a strategy for putting puzzles together. So I would like, I have a puzzle. I like some puzzle people. You know who you are. You're going to come and help me. It's a floor puzzle, so maybe you can sit on the step and, oh, no, we have a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They got a table. I didn't see it. So as they do that, just turn them all over so you know what you have. I'm going to continue. The strategy my brother taught me was there are corner pieces to the puzzle. The word he used was significant. They're the most significant pieces. So he said you want to set them out first. Then you want to do the edge pieces. They're the next in order of significance. Then you group by color. Did you see the picture? Do you have the box? Maybe that'll help. Okay, I know you guys can do this. On the box it says ages two and up. <laughs> So you got bottom here and top there. So I know you can do it. I know you can. Oh, here's a corner. There's a corner. Significant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, while they're doing that, we won't time them or hum the Jeopardy song. <laughs> so then there's these pieces usually in the middle of a puzzle. And you can't tell what it is even. I, we sat, as we prayed through the room this morning, we prayed over every chair. We have prayed for you. We set a little piece of a puzzle on the chair. Is there anybody who didn't find one? We have more. So that's for you to keep. I want to remind you. I want you to be reminded that your peace matters. Your peace matters. Do you want me to hold it? Will that help? So you can... 
They're going, okay, my little grandkids, they'd be laughing right now. <laughs> I think that's horse legs, dog legs. Yeah. Oh, it's bigger than we thought. Yeah, huh? it's bigger. Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah, I think we might have to put it on the floor. Well, they're stiff. I know. What's her prize? Look at them go. Oh yeah, you got it. Got it. See, you didn't even know. Yeah. Uh oh. We're missing one. One missing. We're missing one. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a drag. Has it ever happened to you? Yeah. You put a puzzle together and you're missing one piece. It's kind of crummy, huh? Well, guess what? Ah. It's a trick. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> What's the most significant piece now? The missing one. You can't even really tell what it is. Like that little piece on your chair. It's generally not recognizable. But without this piece, this picture isn't complete. Beloved, if we don't show up and be our peace that God designed us to be, his grand story isn't complete. He wants us. He needs us. What changed for me was when our family was doing a puzzle. It was a Christmas-themed puzzle. We spent a lot of time on it. It was a bunch of little pieces like what you have. And I thought, this is going to be fun. We'll frame it when we're done. It'll be a decoration, but it'll also be a memory of this fun family time. And we got to the end, one piece missing. Aww. We couldn't frame it. My sweet daughters bought a new one and did it. <laughs> but in that moment, in that moment of disappointment, God spoke to me, and he said, Maureen, this is how you've always viewed your life. Since you believed in me, you've, you have used this standard to judge people and yourself. Billy Graham was a corner piece to me. I thought, now God uses that man. Pastor Jack was a corner piece to me. He was our pastor for nearly 40 years. My parents were edge pieces. And because of some unwise decisions I had made in my life, hurts other people had inflicted on me, I had bumps and dents, and I was pretty sure that God would never use me because of my bumps and dents. And I deemed myself as insignificant. But he said, now, because you've been missing, you are the most significant piece. You have value. You are loved by me. 
Don't let unbelief keep you from that. My friends, you are significant. You are deeply loved. You have tremendous value and great responsibility in God's kingdom. God knows you. He knows the unique piece that you are. He has woven into the fiber of your being gifts and talents that are unique just to you. This truth is affirmed in, um, it's affirmed by God in the letter that Peter wrote to the church. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made in you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Another translation says, he has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we are called to live in that kingdom. Beloved, that is a big change of address. We have to be inquiring of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to live in God's supernatural neighborhood? No longer citizens of this world, but of glory. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins the moment you receive the Lord. And we are called to live in that supernatural realm. Beloved, unseen is not unreal. It's just different. Billy Graham or Pastor Jack aren't more significant than I am. They're just different. God gave them a different role to play. It doesn't invalidate your role. Hallelujah. God alone is responsible for the outcomes of what he calls us to do. We are responsible to obediently respond, just like the musicians do to the conductor's baton. He calls us to be a people who listen for his voice. And just like Joshua, as Pastor Courtney exhorted you last week, without fear to believe for the unbelievable, that when God directs you, you can achieve the undeniable. When our daughter was healed by the Lord God, it confused every doctor that saw her. They even wanted to do biopsies of her kidney to figure, they said, well, we must mis misdiagnose her. There's something wrong here. She cannot be well. This can't be happening. And her, her sweet husband, humble, he said, I know I'm the new doctor on the block, but don't we do biopsies to find something wrong? I'm not, not to figure out what's right. But, and the problem is there's danger in doing that. A kidney biopsy, they go into your kidney and cut a piece out. So he didn't want to do it because they were curious. And the doctor said, well, no, you're right. You're, you're right, doctor, but don't you want to know? He said, no, no, we know. <laughs> we, we do know. We know that the Lord healed her, and she's good. They told her she would be on meds every three or four months for the rest of her life. It's been, how Nicholas is seven, eight, nine years since she came off those meds. She has never had another problem. She has never been on another medication. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
So we want to step out of any residue of unbelief this morning and step into the part that God uniquely designed for us to play. Because even like that tiny little piccolo, God will notice if we don't show up, beloved. Play your part. Come in when he says, when he calls. I can't in good conscience just teach you this and then go, okay, so now you know. That's not how God made me. That would, in my thinking, that would be like, okay, so see you. Wouldn't want to be you. (laughs) So together this morning, if you will allow me the privilege of leading you through prayer, I would like us to come to the Lord, our Savior, our healer, our deliverer, and destroy the works of unbelief in your life. Are you willing? Are you willing? Thank you. I honor the trust that you place in me. I don't take it lightly. But beloved, the enemy has lied to you. He has told you you're insignificant and you don't matter. Or that you should be afraid that you won't measure up if he really calls you to something big. I promise you, I promise you, God will equip you to fulfill everything he calls you to do. And giving place to unbelief only serves the realm of darkness. Understand, in terms of unbelief, if we have believed the lies of the enemy, instead of trusting God and his word, we have sinned against the Lord. And the word tells us when we sin, we give opportunity to the devil. It's like opening a door and say, okay, come into my life. So the way we resolve this is to repent of that sin and close the door and receive his forgiveness. We don't just ask for it. We receive it. Let him wash us whiter than snow, beloved. So you ready? Let's pray. Repeat after me. Lord, I come to you and repent of any place that I've given to unbelief. I repent of hardening my heart to your truth or doubting your word, your nature, or your character. I repent of any pride or fear that has kept me from trusting you. Forgive me, Lord. I repent of any other deceitfulness or sin, known or unknown to me that has caused me to turn from you, the living God. And I ask for and now receive your forgiveness for my unbelief. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, now I cast off and refuse any further association with unbelief in Jesus' name. I renounce any influence of darkness related to unbelief, doubt, or fear, any generational ties to unbelief, or any other influence of darkness, known or unknown to me, that works with unbelief. And Lord, 
by the authority you have given us as blood-bought sons and daughters of the living God, understanding that you came, Jesus, to destroy the works of the enemy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we now break the power of unbelief. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Now allow me to finish praying for you. Spirit of unbelief, we require you this very moment. Leave each and every person's heart who has been in agreement with this prayer. We command you to take every element with you, those that have cooperated with you. I don't need your names. I know the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee bows. And unbelief, your power is broken in the lives of my brothers and sisters. No more doubt, no more unbelief. Thank you, Lord God. And now, according to your word, we will not leave the house swept and clean and vacated. But Lord, come by your Holy Spirit, and according to your word, fill these places where the enemy once resided, and tempting the, the enemy to return. But fill your beloved people with the assurance of the greatness of your love for them, with the assurance that you see them, you notice them, you will empower them as they walk with faith and confidence, where they once walked in fear or doubt or mistrust, they now will trust you with a steadfast security of knowing your awesome character, your unfailing nature, your loving heart, your glorious purpose, and your ever-present availability to each and every one of us. Lord, overtake them with your love your healing, your freedom this morning. Overtake us, Lord, from that place of wholeness and trust and belief. We will now each confidently engage the role that you have uniquely prepared for each one of us. And now I would like us to declare together, Lord Jesus, I believe. So you ready? And all of God's people said, Lord Jesus, I believe. <laughs> okay, one more time. The devil is not hard of hearing. We don't have to shout at him for him to hear, but I want you to hear. I want you to hear yourself speak these words. So we're going to say it one more time, and we're going to rock the walls and let our kids hear us, okay? In Jesus' name, I believe. Okay, ready? One, two, three. In Jesus' name, I believe. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Now I want to let you know, if he hasn't already, the enemy's going to come and whisper to you and say, that was too easy. That couldn't have really happened. You can't get rid of me that easily. We didn't feel him go out, right? But I would suggest to you, you probably didn't feel it come in either. You are free because of exactly what's on the bulletin this morning, or the program. 
You are free because God's word says you are. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So when the enemy comes and whispers that to you, maybe on your way home or maybe as you're walking out, you say, everything we did this morning we found in God's word. And I am free because Jesus said. So you got a problem with that? You go talk to my dad. This is when you get to say, my dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> I love that. Tell him you're not having any part of it. You are free, beloved. And you are empowered and you are equipped. Go live it in Jesus' name.